Welcome to episode 64 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. And Daz, we've got some NBA under our belts. We haven't spoken for a little bit. We've been quite busy, but we have even, we've watched a game together in person. We were together on the weekend for the, or the second running of the South Coast Craft Beer Festival. So it was good to see you and uh, we caught the, the Milwaukee uh, home opener against Indiana. So how, how have you been enjoying the NBA season thus far though, Daz? Yeah, we um, you were very polite, I would say, as a host, so thank you, because I think that was also, wasn't Boston and Toronto, probably the Clash of the Titans was on, um, as well as the Bucks Pacers, the, the Celtics, Celtics rap started 30 minutes before Bucks Pacers, so that was a, a pretty good sort of first, sort of my first real first day watching games um, in full force, but yeah, Daz, the storylines are abounding already, and by all kinds of themes emerging, right? This, it's a different season altogether, isn't it? Well, we did get to see on Saturday the Cleveland Cavaliers get compared to the Keystone Cops. So that, to me, was the <laughs> highlight. And you, you got to see the way I watch NBA on, on a Saturday, just going around and seeing if there's any close games. And some of the, t- the close games with bad teams, they're my favourite moments of the year because you just see such incompetence in terms of the basketball on display. I, I did admire how you got the big screen with the main action, then keeping track on the iPad on the scores, and then then having the courage. To, even if there's a you know the Spurs are playing or something, you'll flip to the you know to a close game between Sacramento and Phoenix just to see crunch time or or as it were some, you know some horrible decision making, which inevitably comes out in in some of those games, which is which is entertaining, like the the Keystone Cops Cavaliers, which. Holy cow! My smash the over, um, <laughs> smash the over drum. I might be might be putting those drumsticks down for a little while, Daz. <laughs> Jesus. Well, we're going to do good, the bad, and the ugly again, and yeah. uh, we might save the Cleveland Cavaliers for the ugly section. We um, might, quite, quite frankly, Daz. Look, we'll start with the good, and the good on a macro sense has been that the scoring's up. And you know me, I'm not necessarily one that says, oh, I love to see a game where it's 132-130. But I think the scoring's up without the aesthetics of the game changing, where it's just they're just bombing each other. I think the big change, well, one of the big changes to me in terms of the rules has been the offensive rebound rule where there's only 14 seconds on the clock and that just speeds up. There's so many more possessions in the game now just because of that rule. That's did, very true. I read today that uh, the the seven seconds or less Suns does, you know, they would rank as the slowest team in the NBA today. Uh, and, and, I, and I read that and thought, well, you're not really comparing apples with apples because simply because of that rule and also the rule where you're not allowed to now uh, be sort of running guys off the ball when they're coming around screens and things like that. The the, the movement of the of the offences around the court, particularly off the ball, is a lot freer and just making them make quicker decisions once they, if they do get that offensive rebound, that's sped up the game as well. So the game's faster and teams up and, and you've just got more teams playing faster. And I think teams are looking at that as maybe a competitive advantage and a way that they can come up and maybe compete with the Warriors. Yeah, it's it's been surprising the freedom of movement rule, um, which is the point of emphasis this year, which is even less ability for the defenders to, you know, get their hands on and restrict the movement of offensive players. That's, I think that that emphasis early in the preseason, where some of those games were literally 35 fouls are being called just to make it a point to those particular teams. I think we're 
mercifully, I think we're seeing the referees not call all that sort of stuff, but they're, you know, I think the teams have probably adapted pretty quickly already. So I think that's that's a harder sort of variable to, to play into it. But you're you're bang on with the offensive rebounding, uh, uh, shot getting reset, the shot clock getting reset to 14. So the average, I read the average, it's about an average of 20 offensive rebounds per game. So in theory, that's an extra, you know, potentially extra 200 seconds of play, which is an extra three minutes, right? So an extra 10 seconds um, off the shot clock times 20 rebounds. So you got extra, almost an extra three minutes of possessions to go there, which is a, that's material. That's, that's a, that's a factor, isn't it? But um, I guess my more so than the, and the scoring is up, but my, my sort of first meta reflection a week into the season is, is something we were pick. You know, we talked about last time when we talk about a lot is that when entering a season, when it's a, a quote foregone conclusion, that's that the Golden State Warriors are, you know, heavy, heavy, heavy favorites to go. How do you, how do you enjoy it, right? How do you enjoy the, the season when there's not a lot of, potentially not a lot of anticipation? And I tell you what, Daz, you tell me differently, but there's this has been more entertaining, more interesting, more storylines, more uh, unseen developments, more feel-good stories. I go, in a week of NBA, I've just been deluged with interesting, fascinating storylines. Like, I, I literally could care less about how dominant Golden State might be right now. And I go... I don't know how many other sports are like that. And we've got so many interesting stars and so many interesting teams. And I guess maybe part of the player movement in the offseason plays into the, you know, just this really neat mystery that so many teams provide to us early in the year. It's just, it's fucking captivating theater, Daz. So that's my, even my first reflection is before the scoring, you know, which was the scoring sort of going up, meaning the product is different. This game is this game is amazing, Des. And I, I could care less that Golden State, you know, might run away with the title again. Right now, it, I can't imagine this being any more entertaining than it is, and I can tell it's only going to get better. Well, then that's uh, uh, Golden State's dominance. That's a problem for May. You know, we can enjoy this now in September, yeah. October, no, into November. You know, and that's that's where I think, but that's what I think is key. Uh, when you're looking at this, I mean, there's a game tomorrow. Does the biggest game tomorrow features two non-playoff teams in Atlanta and Dallas? Uh, because oh, how fun would that be? The Doncic and Trey Young trade, right? Brilliant. So yeah. you know, tomorrow you've got Utah, Houston, you've got San Antonio, Indiana, you've got Milwaukee, Philly. Like they're the games that they're going to moon so many playoffs. I think most of the eyes of the NBA fandom is going to be on that Atlanta-Dallas game, two teams we're probably not going yeah. to care about in March. Because, and it's not hyperbole either, Daz. Like a lot of the, a lot of the other sports you see around, particularly in the NFL, so much of it is hype. And it's just like, you know, it's a bubble and you're just like, that's, there's not much interesting about that. They're just trying to hype this up. Whereas well, these are, I think right. every single team in the NBA has a genuine story and a genuine angle you can look at, uh, not only for this season, but obviously for some terms, you're talking about a, n- a number of seasons down the track. I mean, I watched the Sacramento-Denver today, Daz, and it was a blowout. 
and you might think, why are you bothering watching the boat? But I actually really enjoyed watching what, what Sacramento were trying to do and, and do poorly. But you're seeing some signs even within a team like Sacramento of the talent that's coming through these young guys. I mean, Bagley looked really good today on offense uh, and even had a couple of defensive moments. Uh, that, that you sort of saw, well, well where's he going to be in four or five years' time? So I'm 100% on board with that, I think. And, and we've already seen what we've seen maybe five or six classic games. Like your Washington Wizards have already been involved in three absolute um, heart stoppers. We've had Lakers Spurs, which we'll talk about a bit later on. We had Blake Griffin go off for 50 points today in a ridiculous finish against uh, Philadelphia where JJ Reddy hits a four-point play and then Blake comes down with four seconds to go and gets an N1 to win it uh, at the free throw line. Just so many great moments already and we're only four games into the season, Daz. Two points I'll say is I know you well enough that I think you were watching Sacramento Denver. I'm certain you were scouting Iman Shumpert to see if he's be someone to pick up in fantasy after his explosion and outburst to almost single-handedly carry them to victory in OKC, which by itself a fascinating story, which we'll get to. That's part one. So don't tell me you're just Marvin Bagley. You were scouting Iman Shumpert for your Illawarra Hawks bench. I'm certain of it. The secondly, right, just our aforementioned Golden State Warriors, they look like they're trying, Daz. They look like they might be a little more engaged than I would have expected in, you know, um, Well, certainly before, they've come out of the blocks. March. They've come out of the blocks with more more intent than what we've seen in the last two years. I mean, I remember when the KD's first game, they got trucked by the Spurs, and last year they lost to Houston in the opening And they shrugged it off, yeah. Yeah, this yeah. year they've come out, and I mean, even though they lost to Denver, and we'll get to Denver... That was a highly competitive game. So, well, same with they're, the, they're definitely that Utah. More I mean, that's the greatest compliment to Utah, right? Is that they they beat Utah by one, if I'm not mistaken? Was it it one? was one, yeah, 125, 124, and then yeah, Utah exactly led right. late in that game. So They did. They blew a 10-point lead with five to go, and that's not exactly late when you're playing Golden State. But, well, uh, it's not. Actually, in today's NBA, 10-point lead with two minutes to go is <laughs> nothing. Yeah, seriously. I mean, that's the, the, the Lakers... Lakers Spurs um, Lake, showed that. Lakers Spurs, yeah, that's right. And Lakers Portland was similar. But um, so, yeah, so Golden State seems to be more engaged. Um, Iman Shumpert is um, the Phoenix <laughs> rising from the ashes. Maybe he's this year's Tyreek Evans or something, Daz. And look, when you're, when you're playing, when you're watching the NBA and Iman Shumpert and Nick Stauskas, Sauce Castillo, has been blowing up in Portland and Karis Levert is, you know, exploding in Brooklyn. They go, those are three genuine, interesting storylines. And I go, that's just three of probably 33 interesting stories. So over to you, Daz. I'm ready to dive in and sort of shotgun some of these. I've got so many observations and ideas from the first week. So Well, what we'll do is we, we're going to concentrate, because as we said, we could honestly talk about all 30 terms and take a different angle. What we're going to do, though, is we're going to concentrate first on the, four, on the I think it's four teams, it might be five teams, who are undefeated um, to this point in the season. And I want to first talk about the team that I think has been the most impressive in the first four, three, four games of the season. That's Toronto Raptors. Um, I've, I've seen them uh, a little bit in their first game against Cleveland, a little bit against uh, Boston, but I really watched them more closely in their game against Charlotte. And I can tell you this, Daz, I'm not sure 
whether Kawhi Leonard's going to be one and done there, but it might not matter. They're going to they're going to have a lot of success this year. They are just all about their business, and and they're already in playoff mode in game one. And what I mean by that is they're just coming out with a singular focus. They're not out there having fun. They're not out there experimenting or anything like that. They're locked in from game one, and Kawhi Leonard looks fantastic. And then you've got Kyle Lowry, who's Started the season like an absolute house on fire, um, as have a number of point guards in the Eastern Conference. But he's he to me has been the top of the tree, and such a they were the deepest team in the NBA last season. I don't see any reason why that's going to change this season. Valanciunas has gone to the bench after starting. Not a word of, of of complaint or anything about that. He's just gone on with his business, coming off the bench now. I think this team this is a mid sixty win team from what I've seen as. Yeah, they're they're every bit as deep, if not slightly deeper, um, because what I saw was that um, I'll just dive into a minute point on on Toronto's. They're starting Norman Powell, and Norman Powell was a lost soul last year, literally fallen out of the rotation. And he looks good. He looks okay. He looks like a competent. He looks all right. He he looks like a a young Iman Shumpert. <laughs> um, He's, but he looks he spry. Really, I mean, I'm, I mean, he physically, does. he looks he good. Does. He just he looks something good. might have been not right with him the last last year or so. So, if some of the early concerns were, and I think this was it was false, lazy concerns, and just maybe the most incurious of national writers hypothesizing of oh, you know, the quad thing with Kawhi when all uh, all logic and I think uh, objective observers would have suggested that. He's probably pretty fine, and he just needs a way out. And it's taken what took him about a quarter or two quarters of that Cleveland game to shake off the rust. And Kawhi looks like he's—it's remarkable. It looks like he hasn't missed much time, which hints to me he's been perfectly healthy for, let's just say, months. Whether that's two months or eight months, we'll leave that to conjecture, and we'll never know. But he looks perfectly fine. That old Kawhi, which you you know intimately, is he's just—he's um, surgical. In the way he attacks, he's almost antithesis of Giannis in the East. Giannis is just this beast who is unpredictable and re- relentless and a, a bit out of control sometimes. He's like the anti-Giannis, where he'll just pick his exact spots and yep. he will just da- dagger you with 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 you know um, with scalpels. So he looks in form, and you're exactly right. I think uh, Lowry's had a bit of a shot in the arm, hasn't he? With the you know different movement and different offense. A little bit, and um, well, Larry's averaging twenty-one and ten to start the season. He looks a little trimmer as well, you know. He's, he he does. I think it could be that could be just eyes playing tricks in me, or I'm I maybe I'm just wanting to see that because he looks so good. But he looks like there's a whether it's a physical spring in a step because he's trimmer, or he's just you know emotionally buoyed buoyed by the season and the new lease on life, where they go, this is our time, right? And it, it makes you wonder if they knew deep down that they just were never going to get past LeBron. LeBron is gone. Their beloved coach, but the beloved coach who they lost faith, they would have had to lose faith in him. Dwayne Casey has moved on, and they've had an upgrade at um, with Kawhi. And Danny Green looks he looks pretty good. He's not Danny Green 2014, but he's, he looks he looks good. Part of me was wondering. You know, did San Antonio, wink, wink, kind of know something that we didn't about Danny Green in there, including him in the deal? But if he's an asset, holy Christ, that's an embarrassment of riches. Well, Danny Green's, uh, Danny Green's effectiveness goes up on the defensive end a heck of a lot when Kawhi's out there um, because yeah. he's now the second-best perimeter defender. 
And even when Ananobi comes well, on, he's probably point. still best, the second best perimeter defender. He's averaging, I mean, look at the steal numbers. They got uh, Kawhi's averaging one steal a game. We know he's going to be one of the leaders in the NBA. So's Kyle Lowry. Uh, 1.3 steals a game so far for Danny Green. And Serge Ibaka has looked like he's had a new lease of life as uh, early on in the season. I mean, yeah, I don't want to get too carried away from four games, but just the, the attitude and the, the way they're just going about their business is really encouraging for me because this is a team that just, you can tell some teams just think, well, we're, we're on another level than our opponents tonight, and they seem to know it. Uh, right from right from the word go, and that's certainly how the game played out against Charlotte the other night. Whole, there's a whole bunch of things that we can reject that we could talk another 20 minutes just about Toronto, but um, a couple final points. This looks like Nick Nurse has been doing his work, and this team doesn't look like they're going to have to, quote, figure stuff out, end quote, on the court. So kudos to Nurse and what he's been doing to prepare. Also, again, um, I'm not going to give kudos to the way he threw his entire team under the bus and destroyed his team's season last year into Kawhi. But um, in a way, quote-unquote, good on you, Kawhi, for at least earning your paycheck, where he's, eh, ho, ho, eh, ho, ho. You know, he was like the, the giddy porpoise at the, at the press conference. And now he's going out and doing what he does, just let his game speak for itself, and he can stay quiet. So, And he's performing. And then, um, and then for Lowry to kind of, it just kind of, um, as you already hinted at and said, that he's he's blended in nicely already. So, if you've got a, a coach who's got the confidence of the team, you've got your 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 MVP candidate, you know, already kind of blended in with his new environment, and your franchise cornerstone and Lowry accepting of it, right, in a way that a Russ Westbrook never could be, right? It's it, the good signs in Toronto, and yes, it's only been, you know, they beat the hapless Cavaliers and the occasionally feisty Hornets, who'd also had four games last week, so they might have been a bit tired. Um, but they had a nice road victory at, at Washington and you know beat the Celtics pretty handily mm. you know, in crunch time. They pulled away in the fourth quarter there. Um, so they've had nice, you know, one nice, one or two nice victories and a couple, one where they smashed. But, um, but you're right, 4-0, and they look good. They look good. Well, and, and the big question I think for them is, and this leads into our next team, is do they have the best player in the conference in Kawhi Leonard, or does Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Bucks have the best player in the conference in Giannis and, and the Kumbo? Uh, and I'll probably just mangled that name, Daz. But uh, so you've got twenty-seven points a game, eleven, sixteen rebounds a game, five point seven assists, and one point three blocks. Turnovers are up for Giannis, but we we did say leading into this season, didn't we? Into, from an analytics point of view, the most improvement for the Bucks was going to be on the defensive end. But from the way they look and the way they play, the big improvement was probably going to come on the offensive end. And that's certainly how it's been, as. And the big beneficiary of it has been Chris Middleton, uh, to me, at the moment. He looks like... We, we, said, we asked a question about Nose a couple of weeks ago. Could he be uh, an all-NBA-level talent this year? I'll tell you what. The way he started, it's, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. No, he's it's um, the first few games has been validation to what Bucks nerds and Bucks Twitter has been begging for 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 about two years now. Is that when you have such such talent on the offensive end, and to have every possession for two years look like 
um, basically of just a drawn out, like it's a game seven NBA finals drawn out fourth quarter possession. It's what they all felt like um, accentuated by that Boston series last year where every possession in every game was just this exhaustion, right? It is now just the opposite. Um, this Chris Middleton is being put in positions to succeed. They have, you know, pin downs and doubles high screens for him, and he's actually running off ball and catching shoots and no more ISO, no more mid-range, and the Bucks are actually leading the NBA in fewest mid-range shots, which is absolute miracle um, in terms of what Bud, is, uh, Bud has done. Not a miracle that he's done, but it's just, for again, from a Bucks fan perspective, it just looks like this team is from a different planet. You just almost can't believe it's the same group of guys. And you're right, Middleton's just almost effortless. They're having to exert half the effort, and he's just so efficient at it. Um, now, look, he's not going to be 11 for 18 for the, you know, whatever it is. 11 he's for 14. Like, he hit 30 points off 14 yeah, shots. 11 for 14 from from three. That's right so far, or whatever it is. But oh, 11 for 14 from the field the other night. He was 7 of 8 from three. Seven that was in one three, game. That's, yeah. right. that's just one game. So, yeah, so, so Giannis has some turnovers, but the turnovers haven't been um, of the out-of-control variety. They've been, I think he had three charges in one game, Daz, and a couple of travels. He's got a bit happy feet. So they're not turnovers from loose play. No, they're not turnovers where there. terms are going to be going the other nah, way. Uh-uh. Yeah. yeah, it's just been, it's been Giannis on Giannis. He's, just, he's got a couple of a bit of sloppy games, but um, so that's part one. So the shooters are open. And again, the theory is, you know, and the theory is the Bucks have they have three proven forty percent three point shooters, right? With with Middleton, um, with Snell, and with Brogdon, who've all had years shooting forty percent. So the theory is, if they're more open, they should, you know, they should continue to to, well, to play that way. They've bought in that. So I don't know if you saw this exchange. This was one of the uh, the Bucks beat riders after the game against New York, and then. Uh, the Bucks had a 20-point lead in this one, and the Knicks made a furious comeback in the third quarter um, to actually close, to, to basically even the game up. And the Knicks made eight of nine shots, and they were just shooting from the mid-range. Uh, so they had basically a 16-3 run, I think it was, and the Bucks went one for ten in the same sequence. And they actually asked Giannis, they said, look, what's, what's the thinking at that point? You know, you you still they were Bucks were still shooting all threes and trying to attack the basket, and the, the Knicks were started coming back with their mid range game, and Giannis just basically said, "Look, we trust the math, we trust Bud's system," and then he turned around to the and the and the the boot rider said, "Well, what happens if they just keep making it?" And Giannis looked at him and said, "We we win the game, didn't we?" <laughs> and the guy yeah. said, "Well, I've got no comeback to that." So that was a little exchange in the um, in the post game press conference. But I thought that's the interesting thing in that game that they didn't revert. And I saw a little bit of this in the Charlotte game where they reverted back to the kid, the kid way of doing things. Whereas against the Knicks, they stuck with um, with the the Bud's way, and of course they ended up winning it quite quite comfortably on the scoreboard at least. Uh, it ended up being a nine point win, although all of that pretty much came in the last minute. Um, and and there's room for improvement. I mean, Giannis is shooting eight percent from three does on four uh, three point attempts a game. Yeah. So as bad yeah. a three point shooter as he is, I don't think he's going to keep shooting eight percent. Um, well, and and later in that interview, you're bang on when Giannis had said, "We trust the math." And he said, when the, uh, Eric Name, who was the ESPN 
and now he's the athletic beat reporter at Aston. You know, and what do you think about the three-point shooting? You after a bit of a rough start, and he goes, our motto is let it fly. We're going to let it fly. Mm. And so it's a, this is not new, right? This is perhaps, this is the norm in the NBA. But yeah, Jason Kidd had this team literally, not metaphorically, he literally coached Jabari and Giannis to not shoot the three, literally, not metaphorically, because his philosophy was, and so this would be back in, you know, 15, 16, 16, 17, is to, um, teach these young guys to be aggressive. He didn't want them settling for jumpers. And so right or wrong, and we've now proven that's a very wrong coaching philosophy given the trajectory of the league, um, that's why it feels so different for us in, in, in Bucks land is that our coach, previous coach, literally said you're not to shoot threes. You know, attack the glass, attack the glass, we'll, we'll search out and seek out mismatches and you go to work and, you know, and get as close to the bucket as possible. So... So, yeah, so the offense, um, it's its remarkable how quick it's taken hold. I thought it actually would be a lot clunkier. Um, but Eric Bledsoe has, you know, everyone just seems to be able to move at about 60% of their normal pace, and it actually looks easier. And that's what happens when you have so much space. They're playing four out and five out. Um, they're bizarre, Daz. The other quirk is they're playing this interesting, interesting jumbo lineup where they have lots of time where they've had Brooke, um, Giannis and Ilya Sova in the game with Middleton and Brogdon and Middleton buds. So this jumbo jumbo lineup, but still has three and four out, you know, playing it. If it's um, if Brogdon, Middleton, Ilya Sova, Giannis and, and Brooke, and we're like, wow, as the league goes smaller and they played the Hornets at one point had Michael Kidd Gilchrist playing, um, playing, the, playing the five or Nick Batum playing the five, the Bucks have gone jumbo. And basically having you know um, Chris Middleton having you know the, the you know second smallest guy in the court at six foot eight, so they're having fun with lineups. The guys are getting confidence on the offensive end and believing in the system. And Buds and the team is have instilled a whole bunch of good habits on that side of the ball already. They got a long ways to go on defense yet, Daz. But um, yeah, good signs for Milwaukee. And I think if we're you know those of us who probably had them, you know, are they the three seed? Early, early signals suggest that, yeah, there's some ceiling left to be to re- to be reached by. Oh, this no team. question. I, I think the 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 rotation's not completely set either. Um, That's right. I, I'm not I, I'm not completely sold on Divincenzo just yet. I think he's going to be fine player, but you know if they're going to be competing this year, I'm not sure if he's going to be a guy that you want to be playing big minutes to um, just at this stage. So, and I think Tom, Tom Maker can still come back into this team. Um, Christian Wood has looked good in the limited minutes that he played. John Henson still playing big minutes. i just got a feeling there's, there's something that's else that's going to happen on that bench as the season goes on and the Buds gets used to this team, but there's no question that the starting five, uh, the way it's configured at the moment, is going to be able to compete with anyone uh, in the Eastern Conference. It's just will that depth end up hurting them? And can Giannis consistently be the best player on the court? Which really the only question mark may be when they play Toronto um, on that question. Or, or does it actually could be when they play the Detroit Pistons, uh, the way Blake Griffin's playing at the moment, because they're unbelievably the other undefeated. They're team, having fun, aren't they? Uh, yeah. In, in the in the Eastern Conference, and they had an amazing win today. Uh, Blake Griffin was back to LA Clippers. Blake Griffin, and people might forget just how good a player he was. I think he was a, probably a top five player in the league at, at the peak of his powers there in LA, and um, they were having a they were having a blast today, Des. 
133-132 over the petulant 76ers. So I didn't get to see any of this, Daz. I only caught um, I only caught the box scores and some of the highlights. But, yeah, Blake went off for 50. And, you know, just reading about what, what's going on in Detroit and, you know, we're just talking about Dwayne Casey and how, you know, his voice and his strategies had just lost their ability to lift Toronto any further. But I go, it's already looking like perhaps a and forget the three and zero record. They could be zero and three because they've they've won their three games by a combined six points. Right? So they've been extremely, extremely lucky. Games, yeah, yeah, extremely lucky in that regard. But even if they lost all three, this looks like a team who's um, just they're playing very differently. And this is it's broader and it's deeper than just the fact that Drummond is facing up a bit more and shooting some jumpers. This is a team that just looks like they've I can't quite put my finger on it. Maybe you've you've maybe seen more piston you know, piston time in, in real time, but it just looks like a team that's playing freer or more more fun and a little bit less I don't know, a little bit less Stan Van Gundy meticulous. And so I wonder if this is a you know, look, this could also whiplash back to some really, you know, loose and bad habits if the team's being led by, you know, um, a Reggie Jackson, who if he gets injured or if Blake doesn't play 70 games, you know, does a team that's playing loose all the time like this, are they going to have anything to fall back on if the studs aren't playing at super stud level? But for now, it looks like Casey has imprinted, you know, a, a new philosophy in the team, which is looser, trusting the players, um, giving them more roles and, and more freedom to do some stuff and less more less about the, you know, looking to Stan Van Gundy every single time down the court to tell us exactly what to do. So, And good on them for, um, I was going to say, for shutting up Joel Embiid, but that's the opposite of what they did. <laughs> they never, you never shut up Joel Embiid. You'll but, never um, shut up Joel. But, oh, the, and, you the, and if you haven't seen that, um, the dunk that uh, Blake Griffin got on Joel Embiid, um, it was probably the, the uh, an early contender for dunk of the year. I'm sure we'll get better dunks as the season goes on, but it was a nice moment uh, for Blake Griffin. I, I think, obviously, look, just final point on Detroit, their, their top five players have been playing really well, and that uh, goes down to Reggie Bullock's had a really good start to the season, so is Smith off the bench, but it sort of falls away pretty quickly after that in terms of the production that they're getting from guys. So you just wonder who else may be able to step up. They probably need a, a sixth, seventh guy to start stepping up. But look, it's a nice start for them and for a team that's going to be pushing for the playoffs to start 3-0 and give yourself an early buffer. I think these early games are going to be so critical, probably more so in the West than the East. But um, I, I think there's already a few teams that might be looking back on some losses or wins that they've had. And at the end of the season, when all said and done, go, well, gee, that's an important one. Um, and, and I'll tell you, another team that knows all about that day is looking back on the end of a season and wondering how they lost games is the Denver Nuggets. And they've started uh, 3-0 as well, including a really good win over uh, the Golden State Warriors. And uh, I saw the game, as I said today, uh, we've sorry, they're 4-0 now because they beat Sacramento today and did it quite comfortably. I have, and one of the reasons I wanted to watch that game today, is, as well as doing my fantasy research, was to see what Denver were doing. Um, I didn't get to see a lot of their starting line because they blew it out probably in the third quarter uh, there, but. Jokic looks good. Uh, Mason Plumley looks good in his role. He's basically playing the <laughs> really? well. He's basically playing the poor man's 
Jokic does. And and the theory behind it is, it's, uh, him and Jokic don't share the court together, but if Jokic sits down, Plumley comes on, he's basically playing the same uh, role as what Jokic does. Doesn't do it as well, but at least you can play the same system no matter who's on the court, and there is continuity there. And I think that's helping their offense. And I did pose the question in the pre-season um, review or, or preview of this team, what, where's Paul Millsap fit? Well, we now see where Paul Millsap fits. He brings the defensive intensity. They're the best defensive team in the league through four games. Now, that is a very small sample size, but I think they're going to continue to be a good defensive team. I don't think they're going to finish the season first by any means, but... I still think they're going to be a decent defensive team as the season goes on if Paul Millsap can stay healthy. So I just I like the way they're constructed, and that's why I, that's why I mentioned Mason Plumley. It's more around the team construction rather than him as an individual player and just the fact that they can play a certain style on offense. They can play a certain style on defense, and they can maintain that no matter who's on the, on the court because the pieces do fit together. Um, and, and Will Barton's injured I actually think and everyone's saying well that's a real shame I, I think there might be a silver lining to the, the Will Barton injury only because it gives them a look at some of these other sort of fringe players on the roster the likes of Trey Lyles and Tyler Lydon and players like that who may not have gotten enough or as much of a look in had Will Barton not have gone down injured well, so, Malik, and Malik Beasley Malik who, Beasley maybe, well. maybe there were more question marks around him than than we're appreciating, but it just seems like this guy, he, he should get an opportunity. So maybe that's well. You know, I was watching the Denver. I was yeah. watching the Denver call, and they they did say what has happened to Malik Beasley. He hasn't played as well, and they said this might be a real opportunity for him. They're actually starting the rookie uh, Tory Craig at the moment, um, who I've never I wasn't all that familiar with um, when he first started. <laughs> but there was like a T. Dot Craig sort of moment, Daz, when I saw him come out. But um, he <laughs> he's looked okay. I mean, he's sort of just one of those guys yeah. that stays in his lane. But um, it, it is an opportunity for some other guys. And even though Lydon, et cetera, aren't necessarily um, shooting guards, in the positionless NBA, you might yeah. find these guys come into the rotation a bit more than they Two, otherwise three, four, might have. Yeah. That's yeah. right. So yeah. an interesting. Day. But you haven't. Seen, have you seen much of Denver yet? I didn't see any of their game against Golden State, sadly. And that's probably been the most interesting. Game no, I've, I've been watching. I, I'll be honest. I haven't. I've just, just you know, the usual highlights and. Well, and, make sure uh, watch the, the full game before you go to yeah. bed tonight. Put the full game of Sacramento Denver on. I think you'll really get a lot out of it. It was a blowout. Though. I mean, they were up by thirty <laughs> in the third. So I'm like, yeah, I, I'm not sure. Come on, Daz. You're not sure. I'm gonna watch. I don't want to watch J- Jason Jackson, Frank Mason, and Yogi Ferrell, and, and Marvin F. and Bagley. You know, I just can't, I can't, I can't fathom it. But uh, I am interested to see how Buddy Heald and, and De'Aaron Fox are going. Now, look, that was the second night of a back-to-back for the Kings after they'd just beaten OKC the night before. So I, I kind of give that, you know, it's probably the least meaningful win Denver will have yeah. on the entire season, you know, getting the Kings in the second night of a back-to-back at home. But um, I, your point is taken. They're off to a good start. You know, Harris, Murray, Millsap, and Jokic are the four starters who are the most important starters to be healthy. I like Will Barton, but he's uh, he's he's more replaceable than any of those four for sure. So, um, and Jokic has had a you know spectacular start to the season as has Gary Harris. So, um, and you're right, Millsap seems to have sort of refound his place as that rugged rugged defender who could help. 
cover up a lot of what Jokic can't. And uh, look, there's no way they they end in the top five in defense. You know, this is a team that we were pegging as perhaps at risk of being a bottom five. Well, they could be top ten. I think team. that's what they could end up as a top ten. And if you get this offense with a top top ten defense, I think they're, they're a top four seed. In the I don't, I don't see question. where top ten comes from. I, I think that's a possible theory. Like, and I've, I've never heard of Tory Craig's, but as, unless he defends like Andre Roberson and Paul Millsap plays eighty games, I mean, still the fact is he still have. I guess. The theory of Gary Harris is kind of a you know a rugged, physical player. Uh, Jokic is you know less awful, I guess, by the metrics so far on defense. But um, but yeah, your point's taken though. If this team makes a measurable improvement on the defensive end, um, the way that that starting lineup can play, I still would want to see more from a Lyles and a Wancho Hernan Gomez and and Beasley. I don't have a lot. I have less faith in their bench than you do, I guess. At this point, but um, but yeah, they're off to a good start, and that's a team who probably need needed to be off to a good start, didn't they? This is not a team who who just missed the playoffs the last two years. They're under a ton of pressure to win, right? To win now, and it's um, and well, Mike Malone got extended, which was a curious thing, but so maybe they're you know, I guess maybe that's part, perhaps part of the relieving this team from that uh, that dreaded. Uh, whether it's real or perceived, you know, lame duck coaching situations. So there's some stability there now in Denver. So yeah, good, good early signs. And you know what? Hey, at the end of the season, given how close the standings were, they're three and a half games ahead of the Lakers in the standings and three and a half games ahead of Oklahoma city. Those, I have a feeling those aren't, aren't going to be meaningless statistics. Well, that's you massive, know, um, and that's 60, the other thing they haven't been doing. Yeah. Like they've won a couple of games that have gotten a bit tight late, and they haven't made the sort of dumb, stupid plays that you would have not, you would have seen. Typical from Denver. Yeah. You know, that you say, oh, I was waiting for it against the Clippers in particular, and it just didn't happen. And from what I understand about the, the game against Golden State from watching the highlights, uh, they were able to execute down the stretch of that game as well. So... They're, they're off to a really good start. I mean, to start 4-0, uh, given the fact that they've missed the, the playoffs by basically a game the last two years, that's a really nice start, and you, you'd imagine they should be able to, uh, particularly given that they've picked up one one big scab and go and start already, they should be able to maintain that, and they're looking good already, I think, for the playoffs, because well, with, with some of the teams, to your point, that they're up against getting off to rough starts, you, you know, you're essentially, what is it, 4-0, the, the 0-3, against uh, OKC and the, and the Lakers. Well, so in the game in two days is that they play at Los Angeles. And so I go, that's that's, that's as big as an October game gets when the Los Angeles mm. Lakers are 0-3, staring at 0-4, going against a Denver team who's playing pretty well. I go, that's suddenly a really interesting matchup um, at the at Staples Center in a couple of days, Denver at, at the Lakers from a Lakers team, obviously down, down a couple of players with the suspensions, but... Um, feisty nevertheless as your spurs uh, witnessed so mm. yeah it, things are things are getting interesting already in the west well last time i want to talk about that is, is that the last undeferred term is the new orleans pelicans and they're playing um they haven't played any close games yet because they're just blowing teams out uh but they are playing at a fast uh, I, I contrast them and the lakers they're the two fastest teams in the league in terms of pace but the lakers are playing fast and loose Whereas these guys are playing fast and controlled, and it's a, it's a worlds apart in terms of what they're able to do. And Anthony Davis is, is 
looking likely of putting the ever an MVP level season Crazy. Uh, yeah. for what he's done early on. He has just been an absolute beast. They started the season by absolutely trucking Houston uh, in the first game, and they haven't been, you know, not the greatest of opponents since then in terms of Sacramento uh, and uh, the Clippers today, but. They, they can only yeah, the Clippers are an NBA team. Clippers are an NBA team. That's and a, the Clippers, Clippers that's kept it close. Yeah. The Clippers kept yeah. it close. It was five points with about a minute to go, and then my guy Alfred Payton does. He was off to a good start. Uh, he hit the, the the big three that sort of put the game away. So, yeah, I mean, get these numbers from Alfred. Just let me let me glide on Alfred for a bit. Thirteen point seven points a game. 1.3 steals, 7.3 assists, 7.3 rebounds, only 1.7 turnovers so far in three games from Alfred Payton. So the early early returns are looking reasonable. If I pass the ball to a wide-open Anthony Davis, I would get an assist as well. <laughs> the funny that's thing a, is, that's the math, that's the funny thing is, he's basically <laughs> playing as a secondary playmaker. So Drew Holiday's is because oh, I watched their game today against the Clippers, and Drew Holiday's taking a lot more of the playmaking duties actually from Alfred. Alfred sort of serving as a bit of an outlet and then he's getting the, the, the that sort of secondary pass which the, the assists have not been fantastic I, I think it's just been really a matter of Alfred Payton just playing within himself and sticking in his lane but when you've got guys like Holiday and Holiday actually hasn't played that well by his standards early um, but Miritich Anthony Davis and you're passing the guys that are wide open or you're getting it back down to AD who's got a uh, who's got the you know, Gallinari on him as he had at times today? Um, they're, pre- they're pretty comfortable assists and they're low risk assists. But you know he, he's doing what's asked of him at this stage, as a number of guys are. Miritich has probably been the big story though from this time. He's averaging twenty eight points a game so far. Does um, he has just been absolutely outstanding? I mean, if he, if he can continue that sort of play, you've got Randall off the bench, absolutely boosting second units. Um, uh, you know the the sky's the limit for this term in terms of what they can achieve in the regular season. Um, and still and don't have the depth, right? They still don't have that depth. But man, if they could, you're right. If they stay healthy, this is a team that is just so interesting, and they're so fun to watch. When Anthony Davis is at, you know, he's at a he's at a he's at the level even a half a step above Giannis because he's just got that beautiful outside game, right? So I go, that's a he. he no one could objectively put Giannis ahead of him in this early MVP race, just watching them play. Um, so I, I love how they've looked so far. It's like the Portland series never, never finished or that's that carryover is still real. And as we said last time, they had a really competent, you know, battles against golden state when they got knocked out of the playoffs, then some, you know, very important roster to turnover, obviously getting rid of, getting rid of boogie, and you know, losing Rondo and bringing in, um, bringing in Alfred Netting, Julius Randle. That's you know, that's not insignificant. That's some pretty big pieces. But we all love the fit of Nico next to Anthony Davis. That allows them to be just so deadly. You know, from the four or five position, you see they can just continue to get away with, you know, Darius Miller and Solomon Hill, who looks healthy by the Hill way. Solomon good. Hill. He'll look good. Yeah, he finally <laughs> looks healthy. You know, going to maybe live up to that contract and and. Um, Yes, it was only the Kings and the, and the Clippers, but that game against the Rockets in Houston, that felt just like the Portland series in the playoffs. They were in control from the opening tip. They had a plan. They executed their plan. 
and they attacked relentlessly and and they just they had control from start to finish uh, against the against the rockets now with the rockets at full throttle don't know don't care the game is 131 112 and they backed it up by by um by putting up 149 points in regulation against the kings you know two nights later <laughs> so they're looking good they're having fun and we can at least delay the you know, the ad hiring rich paul narrative we can delay that for at least another another little while as uh as the the environment around ad and this team is feeling pretty healthy it's hard to imagine how they'd still add a had another star but you know this is a their tip of the hat to to dempson for and to gentry for you know what two years ago we thought this was in that you know this was a choo-choo chugga 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 train wreck you know dumpster fire you know desperation whiffed on buddy healed turned him into you know boogie cousins sort of you know it reeked of stan van gundy trading for blake desperation it reeked of you know the the clown car that was the orlando magic dumping oladipo for serge Ibaka. it reeked right it reeked of that of just just blind desperation and and remarkably the achilles tendon injury to to, to demarcus and uh in the emergence of some of these role players in New Orleans and in the emergence of Nico as a genuine, you know, sort of second and third threat has made this a really interesting team. So kudos to, to Dempson Gentry for, for writing this ship. Well, let's move now to the bad days and we might move to a couple of teams that probably yes. haven't quite <laughs> put it together yet. Um, in terms of teams that we thought would be content. Look, again, early days, we're talking game game three and four of the season at this point. There's two teams moving tomorrow, though, Daz, both have started one and two, and some worrying signs, I think, um, for both of these teams. Particularly, I think, uh, well, Houston's a bit difficult to sort of say, I guess, because one of those games was there, Chris Paul, and we know they're not quite the same team. But Houston play uh, Utah tomorrow. Houston again without Chris Paul, and I think there's every chance. Well, certainly one of those teams is going to start one and three. Do you see any signs of worry though for for either of these teams yet? Because we certainly both had them higher. I mean, I had well, I had Utah as the three seed and Houston as the one seed. I, the Houston aren't looking like a one seed so, thus far. No, they're they're definitely not looking like the one seed. Um, you know, they've given up one thirty one, one fifteen, and one fifteen. Now, granted. The NBA average points, I think, is 111 so far. So it's not it's not egregious, but you know, um, I guess the the early signals look like right. James Ennis and Michael Carter Williams are and and Car- Carmelo Anthony are not Trevor Ariza and and Luke Baamute. So it stands to reason that individual defensive you know talent has has left the team. It's going to leave them more vulnerable, and we'll see. We'll see if the catch the ball, dribble twice, shoot from 21 feet, Carmelo can make any sort of impact on this team. I know you and I differ as to, you know, how toxic or how valuable he might be. I'm still of the camp. He's a, you know, he's perhaps even less important than Ryan Anderson was to the team last year, just because the salary is so so low. He's on a minimum salary, but if they've been if they genuinely relying on him. And we're genuinely and are relying on Michael Carter Williams to play, but he played 20 minutes in the opening night. Daz, mm. I go that uh, my 
theoretical giving Daryl Morey benefit of the doubt is is going to wear off. You know, they got Utah, Clippers, Portland here the next three games. They're all home games, so they let's see if they can right the ship in the next three. But and if they lose, if they lose two of those three, for example, you know, start two and five, you're going to start wondering really when they go get healthy, go and play in Brooklyn and Chicago the next two nights. So. Look, the team probably is going to be fine over the next 82, but there's, I think there's signs here, Daz. I think there's signs. And as as we saw, as you, as you already said, this is not the same team without Chris Paul. And, you know, he's, he's only going to miss – he's going to miss tomorrow night's game against Utah, as you said. So I'll probably give, you know, the advantage Utah in this one. Um, but uh, that's the other worrying bit here is, you know, is where's Chris Paul's head? And uh, maybe that's just a one-off with Rondo, but – if Chris Paul plays 50 games again, this team is not going to be the same. And, 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 the, the, I guess the macro with this team, and we'll, we'll overanalyze it, and we could never really know unless we're in the locker room every night, is the emotional cliff that this team came off of. Of By every measure they had, they had Golden State down. They had their foot on their throat when Chris Paul, you know, tore his or t- pulled his hamstring last year. And so... It's going to be hard for us to quantify that that emotional cliff, and we probably won't get a you know a real answer to that question until May of next year, when this team has either won a title or has been eliminated. Well, you, you know, looked what, as what the, historically like. at the teams that have come close, like Sacramento Kings, the Portland Trailblazers when Pippen was there oh. uh, back in the early two thousands. Yeah, even your Bucks when they went there against uh, Philadelphia. A lot of those teams fell off the a cliff. The 60-win Hawks fell yeah, off a cliff. The, fell off a cliff The last two after. years of the, the Raptors, right? It's, it's, that's tough to climb that mountain again where you get your heart ripped out, right? The the Mavericks, right? After after Dirk won the title, they were effing almost terrible almost immediately. Mm. You know, granted, they won the title, but the that emotional letdown is you're, you're bang on. So, look, it's hard for us to know now, but that's what I think. It's, it's, a, it's a watch area, isn't it, where... James Harden got his MVP, so does he care as much? Right? Really, genuinely, does he care as much? Chris Paul got his $200 billion contract, and he's set for life and has, Lord knows, the aspirations he has way beyond you know, his playing days. Does he care as much? Clint Capella had you know, generational uh, altering money in the offseason. Does he care as much? And... And then you got you know, Gerald Green and Michael Carter Williams and Brandon Knight playing real minutes. Just, well, there's no depth. There's zero depth on this team. There's no that's, depth in this team. And, and so I that is the real worry for me uh, looking at this this team in the early goings. I mean, it's, as much as we're going to talk about OKC, I'm sure next to his 0 and 3 and look just in complete disarray, I would not be shocked if in you know it comes February and this team is you know, a few games above 500 and we're looking at going, oh my goodness, what mm. went wrong? And I go, I think all the signals could be there. Motivation, got the MVP, defense is down, all the guys got paid, bench is weaker, defense is weaker. I mean, these signals are all there. At some point, D'Antoni is going to get tired, you know, bitching at the referees. And someday, someone much tougher than Brandon Ingram is going to get so frustrated with James Harden, he's actually going to connect and give him the Kermit Washington, Rudy Tomjanovich punch in the face, which was what started that fight, right? Which was, and it got underreported, but James Harden's ridiculous, frustrating, it's so annoying, fake flop, fake call, fake foul stuff is, 
and of all people, Brandon Ingram goes and snaps, you know, to start start that fight. And I go, let's this let's be honest, the root cause of that fight and everything pointed at Rondo is James effing Harden. <laughs> and no, uh, sorry, my, my my segue then, right? So so everyone who saw that fight, right, is that you know Harden went to the basket and got fake touch fouled, and Ingram was so frustrated. He just walked on the court and shoved Harden in the back. And again, so annoying fucking Harden. Harden didn't even react to getting shoved, <laughs> right? He's so he's so unflappable, you know? And that's why that's got everyone pissed off. Like, if, if he just would have turned to Ingram and had a shoving match, we had a couple, you know, a couple of technicals on those two guys, and we'd have moved on. But he's so cold and calculated. So cold and uncaring <laughs> about what we think of him. Well, Marquez Chris, Marquez yeah. Chris still will come back, Daz. That's that's <laughs> the silver line for them. Um, the other the team they're playing tomorrow is Utah. Now Utah, they're close game against Golden State. They could have easily won that. They could easily be two and one. And we're just wondering what happened against Memphis. Um, although that was a bit of a shock over loss um, to uh, yesterday. Australian time for Utah. A little bit of a worry that Donovan Mitchell doesn't have a running mate, I think, for on the offensive point of view, and he has not started well um, from an offensive point of view. So just a little bit of an eyebrow raise there. Hopefully they'll get it back on track soon from their point of view. But, um, yeah, in, in terms of the way scoring's going, you wonder how much value their defensive scheme's going to have and how much are they going to need to be able to rely on the, on their offensive game, which is obviously not as strong as their defence. So I think that's going to be an interesting factor to keep an eye on um, as this season goes on. Joe Ingles, Daz, is their leading scorer. That's not a misprint. He's their leading scorer through three games. And um, do you have any free throws Joe Ingles has taken? Oh, zero. Zero. It has, zero. hasn't been to the line, right? So this is the... I mean, this is Steve Novak. He's he's Kyle Korver. He's like annoying Korver, where he's again he he's better than that, but he doesn't look the part. That's so it's less about Joe Ingles. So he's he's been fifty percent from deep. So he's he's doing Joe Ingles things. But to your point, is Donovan Mitchell shooting thirty four percent, you know, from the from the field, and you know his he's a, a a negative, you know, assist to turnover ratio, and and that's the I guess getting three games in, it's not going to be an indictment, but it'll start to creep in, you know, 10 or 20 games go on. We'll start to wonder, you know, is this Derek Rose or is this, is this Tyree Evans? And again, I don't, I don't want to paint Donovan with that brush, but we've seen crazier stuff happen where if he doesn't, you know, find efficiency or find better shot selection and, and refine his game is, and the theory is it, could he have peaked in year one? Is is just being so supremely athletic um, and getting to all the spots on the floor he wants to. But now you got guy defenses keying on him. No one's going to be surprised by it. He's going to be supremely scouted. We got tons of tape on him and his tendencies. And as you said, there's no, you know, Joe Ingles is a great catch and shoot player and, and pretty good in transition. But he, look, this is not a ball handler or a, an initiator or a playmaker of any sort. He's a wonderful role player, but you know, there's no one else who can initiate the offense. Well, Rubio's so shooting 25%. Alec Burke shooting is shooting worse than Mitchell. 33%. Right. So he's two yeah. other guys that you really, 
in terms of playmaking and a little bit of scoring in the backcourt are shooting even worse than what he is, all burn on, on less shots. And I've been on record, I wasn't a fan of, you know, getting the direction of the league and bringing back Derek Favors and playing, you know, playing the super jumbo lineup where you've got two players who can't shoot, um, and, and in fact three, if you've got Rubio, Favors, and Gobert on the court at the same time. I go, I think that's a that's a major risk. Dante Exum, you know, is not a shooter. He looks pretty healthy, and he's getting some good run here, 20 minutes a game start the season so it's it's nice that that Dante might be finally earning you know some rotation minutes but again I pegged this team as a seventh seed starting the season dad and dad's not again three games in we can continue with the caveats but I just I'm I'm wondering where the ceiling comes from and if the ceiling is coming from Joe Ingles that's going to be I think that's a tough ask that's a tough ask yeah so we'll see we'll We'll see that well quickly on we'll move over the eastern court quickly on two teams um, over there, I, I certainly agree with everything you've just said about Utah, um, and that's Boston and Philly. They played the opening game of the season. I don't want to spend too much time on Philly because I think their their problems have been well documented by us, and I don't think I think the questions we had about them coming into the season remain uh, today. They did play; they were without Ben Simmons today. Just interesting on Philly, and they played Markel Fultz as starter. Markel Fultz and Fultz looked good. But for some reason, he only played about 20 minutes, and uh, TJ McConnell played 30 minutes. So that's... Uh, I haven't read Brett Brown's comments after the game, but I'm, I'd be very interested to see why he went more with McConnell than, than with Fultz um, in a game like that today. So that that was a bit of a strange one to me. But still a heck of a lot of questions, I think, um, from Philly that haven't been answered. The team I'm a bit more concerned about is Boston. Uh, and I understand people saying, well, uh, you know, obviously Hayward's just come back, Kyrie's just come back. I think the guy to watch here is Kyrie Irving. There's been a lot of talk about Kyrie saying, I want to stay in Boston, I want to stay in Boston. I'm not worried about that side of the equation. I'm worried about the other side of the equation. I think there's a very real chance that Boston don't offer Kyrie Irving an extension on their on his contract at the end of this season. Where, is this, coming know, from? where, well, where is this coming from, Dallas? He has not looked good, Daz, to start the season. And I think you're already seeing teams offer these max extensions and have buyer's remorse very, very quickly afterwards. Kyrie Irving's not the future of this team. The future of this team is Tatum, Brown, to a lesser extent, Haywood. I, I would not be at all surprised if Kyrie Irving is playing. Well, and let's be honest, it could be at the end of the RJ, season. RJ Barrett, right, at the, the top of the next draft because it's highly, highly probable they're going to get a top five That's pick exactly right. from Sacramento. So I kind of go... They've got so many options, and there's a lot of guys on free agency as well at the end of That's this it. season. So they've got a lot of options about where they can spend their money. They've got a lot of options about what the future of that franchise is. Do you really want to be locked up in a max contract for this guy who's already got knee problems and doesn't look great to start this season, actually looked really terrible in the Toronto game and didn't look good at all in the, in the first game against Philly. So now I understand he's only coming back early days. Let's wait and see. But I just think watch this space, and I think the media is looking at this from the wrong point of view by saying, does Kyrie Irving want to stay in Boston? I think the flip side is the question. Does Boston want Kyrie Irving to stay? Jeez, if he's healthy, that's that's really... That's a really tough question. Anyway, that's a whole different salary cap and cap space question and and the bird rights and 
and them getting into the luxury because you, but also and, guys at they're they looking at this does, yeah. they're looking at this and saying on a lot of these max contracts two years into the contract we're playing we're paying this Look, guy for past performance it's we're not, not paying him for what he's going to do in the future we're paying him for what he's done fair. in the past and he's only 26 so there's a whole bunch that goes into that and i go that's it's a very fair comment where well, I, I just uh, let's get our heads around um where are they at in the luxury tax and knowing that <laughs> that I- inevitable gigantic paydays are coming for for tatum and for probably Jalen Brown, right? And who knows about Terry Rozier, if they'll keep him or not. So I kind of go, they've got a whole bunch of different conversations around, are they going to go into luxury checks and start, you know, that start the clock on the repeater, knowing that they're going to have a, a, you know, a top five pick next year. And, you know, the extensions that inevitably come up with their, you know, two sort of stud young guns on the wing. So that for me is part of what I'd need to weave into the Kyrie conversation and, and go, is Kyrie more or less tradable as well compared to, say, a Kevin Love or a, a Blake Griffin? And that's the other flip side of signing a max contract is they're not immovable. They're not. So um, is that an asset is, I think, the bigger question. But if what you're saying is you're not seeing, you're seeing some really uh, dodgy warning signs, is what I'm hearing from you, though, right? If he's not, well, we just like spoke himself. just quickly. So we've just spoken about Donovan Mitchell, but Kyrie shooting thirty nine percent from the field, five point eight assists, two point five turnovers. So the assist turnover number not quite as bad as what we're seeing from uh, from Donovan. But the, there there is some similarities there in terms of what's what's going on. Now Boston have got a few more offensive uh, weapons there, but. You know, and, and I, you doubt Kyrie. Kyrie's got runs on the board, more runs on the board than Donovan Mitchell does. Yeah. But he's also yeah, got, yeah. I think there's some health questions there. I really do. Well, he's, had multiple, he's had multiple knee surgeries, Daz, right? So that's, that's it. That, that's where I'm, I'm coming at it from. I'm not coming at it from, I think he's okay. off to a rough start. He's okay. going to keep there. I think there's, there's some health questions there. And is this a guy you want to lock up for four years? And if something else happens well, to his knee, how tradable is the contract? We saw what they did to Isaiah Thomas, and so I think and there's no question. You know, the mercenary Danny Ainge um, won't, won't have any right lingering emotive obligations to these to these guys, and he's only had you know Kyrie at the same time. He'll have Isaiah Thomas, right? He's a, he's a short termer. It the, his question will be: Is it an asset or is it not an asset? So you're right, though. So imagine that he. Let's say he improves a bit and ends the season, you know, 18 points a game on, you know, 38% shooting or something or 40% shooting from from the floor and, you know, 35% from three. And those numbers are down. I go, fuck, you're right. You know, his, you know, his um, Hall of Fame handle. Um, but if he's down and if he's only down, you know, 18 and six on, you know, 44% from the floor and 35 from three, that's. That's not a thirty. That's not a max player. That sounds like Eric Bledsoe, right? Yep. So um, that's an interesting. That's interesting. So, so he hasn't. I probably have a longer leash with him just because you said he's got such a. He got well, he's got the track, track record, record and, but he's shooting eighteen percent from three. You can't. That's not sustainable. That's a, the um, thing I'm gonna I've only seen. I've seen quarters. I haven't seen... Honestly, well, I saw a bit of him in game one. He was awful, like the worst player on the court against Philly. Now, I'll forgive that game one. He was no better against Toronto, 
and uh, he, he and even against Orlando, he couldn't throw it in the ocean. Well, look, this is not a guy who plays above the rim, but um, if he loses some athleticism, that's really gonna that's really gonna hurt him, right? So that's that's what I saw, and again, I just could be looking for things, but I, I saw someone who he just doesn't have the burst yet, and I go, is that physical? Is it mental? Is it just rust? Is it new teammates? I don't know, but I haven't seen those, you know, those Kyrie bursts. You know, there's the amazing handle that he creates space mm. and, you know, creates himself some, you know, some easy looks. Um, but I actually thought I was probably even more worried about Hayward um, from a gruesome injury who had obviously had two surgeries, right? The surgery to fix the ankle and then, you know, pretty invasive surgery to remove the plate from the ankle to stable, you know, to see if that, you know, the natural structures can stabilize it again. But now that looks like a guy who, he probably needs his athleticism more than Kyrie oh, does. I think he's just just get him through this season. I, I put him in the same boat. Is Paul, this in the, Paul George? You put him in the back. in the West Matthews by Baron Davis. Just oh, more Paul George. More Paul George. Paul George. I remember George, Paul okay. George's first season back. He the, he was he did not look the same player. Now he he looked better than what Hayward looked at the moment, but he was in a different situation as well. Um, I think just get Hayward through this season. I think towards the end of this season and even in the next season. And that's when we'll have a better idea about where he's at um, from a health point of view, rather than than making any sort of. Diff- yeah. Okay. I, I would. I'd but would you? But would you disagree though that he is not? He's not. He's looked uh, ground bound. He, oh, he hasn't he, looked good at he all. Looks, but he's. A, yeah, he, he looks doesn't like, have a lift yet. He yeah. looks like he's easing his way back into it too. He just. He looks like a guy returning from a long term injury. Yeah. Which is understandable. Yeah. Kyrie's not easing himself into anything. He just doesn't look very good. Um, and I think Jason Tatum but, has struggled early on this season as well, which I think is, is sort of hurting the overall team dynamic as well in terms of what they're able to do on offense. Yeah, so I guess maybe I was on. I was talking about Hayward less about, uh, uh, you know, just in the in the actual terms of how he's looked, but thinking about he's on a max. He's in a hundred and what do you get? One hundred and seventy million, one hundred and sixty million. Here's a guy earning thirty some million a year, and he's twenty eight, and he's had a devastating injury, and he's got I think four years left. Mm. If I'm not mistaken, I go, holy crap. You know, which asset is more toxic or more potentially toxic? Kyrie on a max, you know, two years younger with some knee problems, or Gordon Hayward who had the devastating, you know, more of a, uh, a skeletal injury, so less about, you know, the, the debilitating cartilage and ligament stuff like Kyrie's gone through, but is a thicker player, older player who needs his athleticism. And so that's perhaps that's where I thought you were going with that was that, which asset is more scary for you? So if you already got the scary asset with Gordon Hayward, to your first point, which is does that does the existence of Hayward on your roster make a Kyrie contract? Does it make you more gun shy? Does it make oh, Danny I think H- you're 100% rethink? Right. Yeah, yeah. I think 100%, if, yeah. If Hayward was, you know, spry and didn't have an injury and was, you know, back to, you know, you know prime peak 25-year-old Hayward, you know, 25 and 5, basically like the white clone of Jason Tatum, you know, but effectively, if mm. such similar games, um, I think you might be thinking differently. So you're right, early, early sort of, you know, clunky signs for Boston, but no one's going to shed a tear for that 
from this team. So <laughs> Oh look, they'll be fine, I think, in the long run. But it's just they'll be fine. a couple of things that just keep so much on there. But the team building questions I think are what's fascinating with Boston rather than their win loss at this stage, to me at least. Um let's yeah. final thing about the bad Daz, I'll just get your take on this. It, we're seeing the, the scoring go up, and part of the reason we're seeing the scoring go up is it seems like every team, even the Spurs now, are just playing, and they said the Spurs against the Lakers, it was all threes and it was all at the rim. I think they scored 20 points of their 130-odd or whatever they ended up getting um, from mid-range yeah. twos. Is homogeny a bad thing? I mean, is it is it a bad thing now that pretty much every team, bar a couple of outliers, are playing the same sort of style, and it then comes down to well, who can play that that better style? And this is more, I guess, about the aesthetics of what we're watching on the court, rather than all the sort of off court stuff and the team building dynamics and all that other stuff that we're fascinated with. I love contrasts. That's why I loved you know, the theory of optimized Houston against Golden State last year was that, um, you know, granted they might become from the same school of thought of, you know, dunks, free throws, and three-point shooting, how they achieved it couldn't have been more different, let alone the personalities of the team. So the contrast for me is what makes what makes sports interesting. So that's, that's one aspect of it. Second aspect, though, is... Um, we had homogeneity and most don't doesn't the sport kind of always get that don't we try and copy the champions right if we're always talking about who's the next mj is it you know is it anthony hardaway is it tracy mcgrady is it grant hill it's like we're looking for who's then was it you know then kobe who's the next iso star because that became the model for what wins in the nba and if i just take the homogeneity of um of the 90s of you know a very 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 physical back to the basket you know inside out you know sort of style of play where it has many ewings elajawans and shacks playing as he did you know the you know the john starks and the latrell spreewells and you know the, the athletes who just you know shot in the mid-range and attacked the basket and the final score was you know 89 85 and i kind of go right mm-hmm. most of our games were like that is you know you know I'll probably will take you know a, a one twenty four one twenty three you know quote unquote track meet you know which feels more like a a boxing match in a way because of the ups and downs and the ebbs and flows it actually feels more of a boxing match than an eighty nine eighty six physical game which feels like an arm wrestling match which is just this slow pendulum that doesn't quite you know, doesn't really ever move so. <laughs> Uh, no lie, I go this to be honest, right? You've and you've seen it, right? First, you know, with your San Antonio Lakers game, what was the final? That was a pretty high-scoring game, wasn't it? The Spurs one twenty-four, one twenty-three, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so that's it's you know that's that's up there, right? That's that's ten percent above an already you know a frantic league average of one hundred and twelve. And so I go, I think. Oh, sorry, one forty-three, one forty-two. That's what I thought. It went, <laughs> it was, was that over? I was over. It was over. Right? It was yeah, much higher. Still, than that, yeah. But still, I think it was like one twenty-nine all at the end of regulation. So, I mean, that's 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 a pace. So homogeneity, yep, homogeneity sucks. But the homogeneity of the open floor, five out, run and gun. You know, 40 seconds, right? In 40 seconds, the Lakers cut, you know, the 128 to 120 deficit. 
It took him three possessions. Bang, bang, bang. It's 128, 128. That's fucking exciting. Half the Staples Center had to, you know, rush back to their seats. Well, then that's you know, the difference that's... too, Daz. I mean, in, yeah. in, the, in the old days when you're talking about the late 90s, early 2000s, if your team was down by 20, you may as well grab the remote and turn it off and throw oh, it yeah. the next game. Like, nowadays, you're down by 20. It's just like, well, that's it's it's like being down by six in those old days. Like they yeah. can turn it around. Like the Spurs started that game. I think they were up, um, they were up by eighteen in the first quarter. Uh, it was twenty five to seven, and before you even blinked, because the Spurs just couldn't miss, and the Lakers had no interest in playing it, defense. It would take you an average of five possessions, five great possessions, to make up eight points. Right now, mm. it's just, you know, and any an average three possessions, you know, can, can do it now. So. So yeah, it's a. I'm on the watch for homogeneity as well. Um, you know, we start thinking about the personalities and the stars. I go, that's perhaps where we're going to need to find the contrasts of. Boy, we'll always yeah, have contrasts right. with the way Houston the, the plays. The way AD mm-hmm. plays versus the way Giannis plays versus well, Giannis the way versus Kawhi, Kawhi plays. That's right. right. Giannis and Kawhi couldn't be more different, and then and then the and then the styles between say the two top teams in the East. Right, Toronto and Boston also very different. That's again my very very early glimpse, way too early, you know, observation though is that, boy howdy, um, it is not even close. Toronto has the best player in the conference. If you're looking at the two best teams, we can argue if Kawhi is quote better than Giannis or more valuable. Let but let's say Toronto and Boston finish one two in the oh, conference. Yeah. Man, my money's on the team with the best player, and it's not close. It is no. literally not. It's a universe between Kawhi. And you'd need to see, I'd need to see 2015 Kyrie, you know, for, for me to even think that gap was was even somewhat close. And Tatum, you know, Tatum had an amazing first game, but he's come back to life, you know, much in the way Donovan Mitchell has, right? You forget he's only 20 years old. He's probably not going to suddenly be, you know, Dominique Wilkins and 25 points a game from, you know, from day dot. So um, we've got the contrast. Boston's got the, you know, that their own version of the deep army, and this collegiate sort of style and a highly defensive oriented game, almost Swiss army knife. And now Toronto's more got the, you know, they've got the MVP candidate with the crazy, I forget which game it was, but I was tracking the, the Toronto bench had went for 49, 22 and seven, like 49 points, 22 rebounds and seven assists. And, and I just kind of go, man, oh man, as, as deep as Boston is, Toronto's even deeper. So I wind back up to your first question of, of contrast. And I, I think we'll have enough personality and style contrast and wrapped in a, a much more exciting and volatile volatile game, right? Is Don't go to sleep. You're up by eight with a minute to go. You better fucking close. <laughs> you, better, you better not have Jason Kidd counting the math on the sideline or Mike Malone because you could be in trouble. So that's exciting. I think that's exciting. Well, you better not have officials that let Josh Hart put his hand on the baseline and then let LeBron call a timeout when they've got no timeouts and just let the game play on. But uh, anyway, thankfully the Spurs won that game because I probably would have just ranted about the officiating. And then, then well, Luke, Walton, anyway. Luke Walton yeah. had the temerity the, to implain about the officials after the game. And I thought, did you just watch the same game that we watched? The, the, you know, the Lakers timekeepers just stopped the clock. With two minutes to go and the Spurs up three, they just stopped the clock. Eight seconds. Didn't bother didn't bother to let it run. Spurs trying the run clock. No, we're just gonna stop it. So 
Well, I, I thought they stopped it because um, Lamarcus's defibrillator stopped. <laughs> you know, because he. Hey, LMA thirty-seven. He looks pretty he good. Just, yeah, he looks he's, good he's again. Trucking. He looks good again. So does Demar. Demar's look good uh, so far this season. But guys, I, I went from giving up on the season altogether when they blew the eight-point lead to thinking we could be a four seed. So um, the the roller coaster is well and truly in full speed. Yeah. Bryn Forbes is the next buddy healed, man. He's shooting 46% from three, Daz. He's deadly. He's good. He's deadly. Um, Well, let's move to the ugly, though, and two teams that have been a bit surprising in that, two teams that have not been surprising at all. Let me gloat a little bit. The 0-3 Cleveland Cavaliers, Daz. It's early, man. Uh, It's early. Lost at home to the Atlanta Hawks, were trucked (laughs) by 30 points. Uh, Trey Young had a night at 35 points. This team is just an absolute shit show, Daz. There's just, there's been nothing of note to talk about. They play the Nets tomorrow. I think the Nets are going to truck them as well. I thought, I might have been too high on them saying they might win low 20 games. I apologise. I might have been too high. When you worked at the bank, right, and you worked there for a number of years, did you ever have one of those just one of those managers who was always wanted to watch, you know, when you were in the office and you never felt like you could leave the office because, you know, he was always there and it was all about FaceTime and, you know, you deliver something and it was always full of criticism. You know, did you ever have one of those, those, those managers, right? Yeah. And then, then this, this, this jerk finally goes on freaking vacation, which never happens because his, you know, his poor, his poor partner, poor wife, just you know, needed to get them on a holiday. And that two weeks when he's out of the office, man, mm-hmm. that's that you had long lunches. You were washing your feet in the soft serve ice cream machine. You know, you were quote working from home every day. It was the, the greatest two weeks of your life when that jerk wasn't there. He wasn't monitoring every email. wasn't sending you email bombs on on Sunday night. That was the greatest two weeks, wasn't it? It was. I think. <laughs> I think Cleveland Cavaliers' man- asshole manager is gone, and that's what I think we're seeing, including Ty fucking Lou. So you're right. You would have heard me wax on about smash the over, smash the over on 30-and-a-half victories. And I go, this is a group of professionals. This is a, We're going to see what this coach is made of. Got a whole bunch of guys who are going to prove it and prove that they can do something without LeBron. And I go, that's what I thought would actually happen. But I think what we're seeing, there's a bunch of employees who just are so fucking relieved that LeBron is gone that they don't have to try anymore, and they're going to get a little bit of their own that, my goodness, Ty Lue has shot after three games. He has rocketed to the top of my list for coaches most likely to get fired because, you know what, Dan Gilbert does many things. Um, Patient. Um, with with rebuilding <laughs> would not be one of the things I would describe Dan Gilbert. So, kudos. Yep, I will completely. I mean, it's it's not no secret. Um, Grant, I didn't think this team was going to be good. I just said bet the over. This team should win 33. That's three games higher than Vegas thought. I thought a 33 and 49 was a no brainer. So still let the record be be clear. I didn't say this team was going to be good. But I have grossly, I think, underestimated the professionalism and underestimated just the gigantic sigh of relief that the entire basketball operation now feels with all the pressure off. And every day is working from home for the Cleveland Cavaliers, Daz. 
Well, yeah, I think uh, whatever problems that Kevin Love's had at home, he's bringing to his workplace, does because he looks absolutely terrible. He's shooting 30% from the field, uh, including 26% from three, uh, three turnovers a game, only four assists, like just not not producing anything. But the biggest worry to me, forget about Kevin Love for a second, I thought they actually might look at getting Kevin Love to put up numbers a la Blake Griffin last year and then seeing what they could get for him. The biggest worry for me is Colin Sexton. He looks terrible. Yeah, he's terrible. He looks lost. Yeah, he looks absolutely no. terrible. No, Two granted, turnovers a game, one assist. He's doubled the turnovers to assist, and he's playing it over twenty minutes a game. So this is not a guy that's going out there playing ten minutes. Like he's playing serious minutes and just not contributing. Intrinsic motivation is far stronger than extrinsic motivation, right? And for someone like Blake Griffin, who's um, who had endured the humiliation and and very real personal um, personal setback of having to move from Los Angeles, you know, being promised you're the franchise guy, his life is settled in L.A. He very much loves the L.A. life and, and living there, and his family was settled there. He loved it, and to get shipped out right unceremoniously, unpredictably to Detroit in exile, right? Former number one pick um, who's been through some injury history and had had his life completely ripped upside down against his wishes. I think that sounds like the makings of a guy who has intrinsic motivation to want to go, fuck you world, I'm going to prove to you I'm better. I can do this. I'm still the star. And we've seen early, early dividends, right, from from him. Contrasted to, to Kevin Love, who has had enormous amounts of pressure, been put in a different role for the last five, four years, five years with LeBron, stand in the corner, shoot threes, get some rebounds, be quiet, hide your mental health issues. Remember the early years we made fun of him because he was not on the inner circle. We literally made fun of Kevin Love because he was the the royal we. So others did, yeah, not you, right? But but now, right, then he had this admitted sort of mental health issues, and then he goes and gets rewarded for his um, for his servitude, really, like his public service, he gets rewarded with a hundred and bazillion dollars, right? Which doesn't start till next season. I go, what is his intrinsic motivation? Having lived in exile in Minnesota, then having lived under the shadows, right, in a you know a, a very subservient role, and then just sort of being, he got the thank you check. It's like he got the severance check. Hey, we're sorry. We're sorry we acquired you. We're sorry we've put you through this awful brand and this awful experience, and you know we're apologizing. Here's the here's the make good check. What's his intrinsic motivation at his age to go above and beyond and to score? You know, do 25 and 15 the way Blake is doing it. It doesn't exist, and so that for me is the most real, the, the potentially franchise damaging thing that they've done is extending him the way they did, and rather than letting him play out on an expiring and hit the reset button. They could be very much fooling themselves that, A, he's got the intrinsic motivation to want to play with the effort of level of, say, a Blake Griffin um, at at his, you know, for this season, for this team, for this context, for this coach, and, B, that this could be um, an easily tradable contract. So, again, overreaction theater in week one, but I, I will be the first to admit I was radically wrong uh, already. Again, could turn it around. 
but I thought this was the Tai Lu. So for me, the intrinsic motivation was to come from Tai Lu proving to the world, I'm the coach, not LeBron. I'm the coach. I've got a system. I've got a philosophy. I've got a group of vets. I've got a group of hungry guys like Rodney Hood and Colin Sexton and, and, and so forth. You know, and Chetty looking to imprint their names in the league. I can make the best of the situation. So it could still turn around. So I still think his motivation is extremely high to get this right. But early signals are that he might also be working from home. <laughs> because because the because the boss is away. So Well at least they, they re signed Larry Nance to an extension there, so they've got that going for him. Well they they can do some salary matching with the Miami Heat or the Milwaukee Bucks or <laughs> but I, think, I mean it's interesting you mentioned the I think they thought they were probably on par with the Heat heading into this season. I think internally that's where they probably thought this roster was. And I think they're a million miles away from the Heat, as as much as as low as I am on the Miami Heat. Mm. So I, that's why I'm as as poor as Kevin Love has played. That's highly predictable, given his circumstance in life, being paid a, a, his second Brinks truck worth of money as a thank you to his previous years of service, which is all the only way you can describe that. Um, you know, um, what was your, sorry, I lost my train of thought. You were comparing well, them to the Heat? I was just saying about the Heat. I, I think internally they probably put themselves on par with the Heat. But I think where they sit at the moment, they're a million miles away um, from where the Heat are. And I think if if they get chucked again <coughs> yeah, tomorrow to the Nets, the, the, the seat's going to get very hot for Ty Lue. Sorry for my trailing off, is that they, they need the Spolstra. Right to have um, a oh, variable set of talent, yep. they they need. That's why I thought again. I my, my you my thought maybe Tyloo would go into spoon mode. Thought, this yeah, well, this is my this is my professional coming out part. This is my opportunity. This is my opportunity as Tyloo to prove to the world I'm the head coach. LeBron's not the head coach. This is all me. So my philosophy, my ways of working, you know, my system, my guys, my way. And I thought that he'd have been working his tail off every minute of the summer to instill and implement some things that, that would work. And again, it could still turn around. I think he's still probably extremely motivated character to do that. So we'll see, but early signals are bloody not good. When he contrasted someone like Mike Budenholzer, who's been a head coach about as long as Ty Lu has, who's instantly made an imprint on his team, right? Hmm. And a team he inherited. So Mike Budenholzer barely knows these players and has them already playing very differently and buying into a philosophy. And I go, Ty Lu knows all these guys. What have they done? Right? Nick Nurse knows all his players. He's got Toronto playing a certain way. Right? Dwayne Casey barely knew those guys. He's got Detroit playing a different way. So I kind of go, all the different sort of coaching changes I was looking for, I was hoping to see the Ty Lu way. Let's learn who Ty Lu is without the, you know, this gigantic LeBron shadow. And that horrible question of, you know, is LeBron the actual the coach or is, is Ty Lue? And again, uh, don't want to draw too many conclusions, but early signals are not good, are they, Daz? Um, no, the Ty Lue way is get ready for the lottery, I think, Daz. And, uh, head to the <laughs> Ty Lue is, ah, uh, she'll be all right. <laughs> now let's Oof. let's move on to the next Owen yeah. 3 term in the Eastern Conference. How shocked are you, Daz, Scala 1-10, that uh, Fred Hoiberg's already decided that Zach Levine and Jabari Parker can't share the court at the same time because they're so horrific defensively. Well, you know, 
it betrays all logic, doesn't it? Where you got a, two lockdown defenders at the two and the four. You know, I think they could just, you know, join forces and, and create, you know, the next um, Bruce Bowen and Timmy Duncan. Um, oh, Freddie Hoiberg. I'll tell um, you this, Levine's been shooting the Levine's, lights out. He's scoring. Yeah, he's, he's scoring. scoring he doesn't play a lick of defense, but he scores. I forgot what our did, – did we both conclude that he would lead the team in scoring this year? I think we did finally get our way around to that. I think we both wished. I that think we said marketing. yeah, and there's, there's a number of games where Jabari probably will, but but uh, Zach Levine will will do so at the end. But I agree with you. I think Markkinen's the future of this team, and that's probably the guy that needs to be losing. Yeah, Shane, he's injured. Scoring. Yeah, so so Zach has has looked, you know, I don't know, somewhere between Michael Carter Williams rookie of the year and you know Devin Booker in 2016. Sun's good with no structure, no rules, no discipline, no pressure. You know, no teammates, no, you know, he's looked good with complete freedom to shoot any shot he wants, wherever he wants, however he wants it. So, yeah, that's that's nice. That's what you probably paid your $20 million a year to get. Jabari Parker, on the contrast, has been paid $20 million to be a sixth man, right? And that's what he's done. He's coming off the bench. Even with Laurie Markin and Hurt, he's still coming off the bench. And doing Jabari things. Some days he goes five for fourteen. Some days he goes eight for fourteen. But that's that's Jabari. Um, yeah, uh, the Chicago Bulls. This is a team in active tank tank mode, though, right? Um, you would you would think. That well, this you team would think would so. I mean, you hear internal stories where where they think they should be challenging for the playoffs this year, but I just I don't see how on on the face of it they could have really thought that was going to be the case with this roster. But isn't that just the language of a, a front office who wants to make sure that, you know, they fire the head coach before they get fired? Well, I think saying, that's hey. right. I think sending unreal expectations and then mm-hmm. throwing Hoiberg under the bus. Um, and as, as someone said today on another pod I was hearing, like, you know, when you're talking about the front office, it's either – uh, the roster's no good or the coach is no good. And the GMs are never going to come out and say the roster's no good because that's on them. So that's I'll just exactly say right. this is not the right coach. Um, I feel a little bit for Hoiberg being put under pressure with this roster because it is an absolute shit show. Um, they've got campaigns actually starting their point guard at the moment, Daz. That's how bad things are going. Chris Dunn got injured. Um, so campaign gets his his moment in the spotlight. Well, and we'll I think we have Shaquille Harrison and Tyler Ewis now. I think they got both the Phoenix guys, if I'm not mistaken, um, on the roster. Well, Shaquille hasn't hasn't suited up yet, but I think you're he hasn't right, suited he's up on the yet. Roster. But yeah, no, we talked about this before. I mean, you, you couldn't think of a harder job description in the league than you know Freddie Hoiberg having lived through basically four incantations of the Bulls, where again he was there for the final year, right, the first year um, after the dismantling of of, of of Thibodeau, and still having to you know see the the, the final rotting of, you know, Joakim Noah and uh, the final two years of rotting of Taj Gibson, you know, on that team, just a completely poisoned locker room that was in transition. Um, and Derek Rose still trying to be the man, then Derek Rose versus Jimmy Butler. And then they bring in freaking, you know, Rondo and D. Wade. And then those guys go away. And then they had last year where Portis and Miritich are absolutely bashing their faces in. In the beginning of the season, they have to trade their second best player, and then you go and get, you know, this this squad with Jabari Parker and Zach Levine overpaid. I go literally the four or five seasons he had, you could not think of a 
worse continuity, worse job description, more uncertainty, more uh, a more unambiguous lack of philosophy or strategic intent by the front office. He has literally, perhaps aside from you know the Hornets at coaching under Phil Jackson, has had the worst NBA head coaching job the last five years. I'd be hard. I'd be hard pressed to think he's had it worse. So I'm with you. The team is going to be terrible. They are terrible. There's almost no upside besides uh, marketing. Wendell Carter Jr. looks like he'll be a nice player, but he's not in DeAndre Ayton's class or Doncic or, you know, he's not going to be a, it's not a pretty all-star. He looks like a nice player. But, you know, there's not much to hope for. Yeah, I think when Mark comes back, they'll be a little bit more fun to watch, and there, there might be a few bit more reason to check in. But this stage has been a very, very depressing start um, for the Chicago Bulls, and I hope that uh, Jabari, he, I'm sure he likes money, Daz, because uh, that's going to be his <laughs> last big payday uh, when it comes to the NBA. Let's um, let's move on to the, the Western Conference, the two Pretty surprising teams. I mean, the Lakers are not so surprised because they had a tough draw at the start with OKC, though I am surprised to see them at 0-3. Um, I'm far more worried about OKC, to be honest, than the Lakers. I think the Lakers obviously been hurt by the Rondo, Ingram suspension um, as well. And as I say, you know, when you've got the Spurs, Houston and Port as your first three games, that's pretty tough. When when OKC getting trucked by Sacramento Kings does... That sends off alarm bells to me um, that this team, that not all is right with this roster. No, definitely. I mean, is Billy correct. Donovan on the hot seat as well? I mean, we talk yeah. about Ty Lu. Surely Billy Donovan now, um, given their start, is, is starting to feel the heat. Yeah. Boy, here we go again with Oklahoma. Something ain't right, right? Some Something's not right there. No, look, they lost... Um, yeah, they did. They lost a decent game against Golden State. But they lost by eight, so it was competitive. Um, they lost to the Clippers um, in L.A. They got bombed, and they got bombed by Sacramento. So they actually haven't – the closest game they played. It's not a murderous row, though, is it? No, I mean, it's Golden not. State obviously – It should be two and one. But that they it would have be expected two and, one. two and one. That's right. But to look at, put a little finer point on it, they don't have any shooting. Like, where's the shooting coming from? You know, it's it's um, Patrick Patterson. I think we all can finally admit is done. I don't know what happened to him after that injury, but he has been an absolute disaster. He is a shell of himself. Um, he's he's a shell of the you know the optimized Patterson that we saw being so effective up in up in Toronto. So I think that you know that was a under the radar signing, but man, that has been very much on the radar as a massive hole in the lineup. That was meant to be that the stretching player. Right, to do a bit of you know three and D from the four position, he's been absolutely terrible. Obviously, the long you know Roberson hurt again, which changes their which changes their defense. But he's you know they still have Russ and they still have Paul George and they still have Stephen Adams. And there's no reason there literally is there's no good reason other than not caring to get bombed by Sacramento when you have the three best players on the floor. They're not just the best player or the best two; they're the best three. And I, I challenge you to argue that Buddy Heald or Marvin Bagley is a better NBA player than Steven Adams. Oh, not I think at the moment, argue, no, exactly. Yeah, not at the moment, that's right. So I go, other than other than effort, because that means they just didn't try. There's no reason why he should get trucked at home 
um, to the Sacramento Kings, you know, this early in the year. So you be stacking up these easy Ws and, and making your way. Well, Schroeder, so, I'm telling you, Daz, is a, is a minus. He is a minus NBA player when he's on the court. I just, the more I see this guy, the more I'm out on him. And he was, he was horrendous against uh, Sacramento. Like the, you, but the problem is, if he's not on the yeah. court, who is on the court? Patrick Patterson, who yeah. fell off a cliff. Terrence Ferguson, who looks scared. He, he looks like the, the Robeson on offense, but he's not as good a defender. Um, Ferguson can't shoot at all. Uh, Felton, you know, Felton is what he is. He's a very poor man. Schroeder. Look, there's just there's no one else that's jumping at him in this roster and you say, well, you should be playing him ahead of Schroeder. Schroeder's basically just taken on Melo's role. Obviously a different type of player, but in terms of the fact that he's, he's a negative in, when he's on the court because he just does dumb shit. In 63 minutes and three games, Terrence Ferguson is two for 15 from the field. Right. Well, he's scared to shoot, Daz. He's got that deer in the head. Because he can't that, make it. That Roberson has. two for 15. That's right. He is, he is bad, Roberson. Um, I said they don't have any shooting. Um, so I said Pat Patterson's been a disaster. Um, Ferguson absolutely can't shoot. and shows no signs of being able to shoot. Um, who else? Are they relying? He said, yeah. What's, what's Schroeder's deal? Is he just – is he well, – no, what, what is his – when you say he's a negative, what is it? What what do you see or what have you seen about him that, you know, he's not reprising the Reggie Jackson role, that instant offense, the break the defense down, uses athleticism to create for others. What's, is he just take, hunting his for his shot or what's, what do you he see? He just does dumb, he does dumb shit. Like he will shoot, <laughs> <laughs> he shoots it early in the shot clock, you know, consistently. That takes bad shots. Um, yeah, you know, he's not a knockdown shooter any either. So he's only shooting twenty eight percent himself from three. Twenty eight. So sorry, he's shooting twenty eight percent from the field overall, um, and twenty eight percent from three as well. So he's not a good shooter. He he consistently takes bad shots. He consistently makes poor decisions. He's an awful defender. I just think, what what does he have? Yes, he has some. So he he looks good in the open court, and he and he can finish off a fast break. Apart from that, it's just like well, I don't see why you want this guy, and that's where and that's where I think the the, the similarity to Melo is. He's yeah. another guy that once he gets the ball, he just wants to put it up and shoot it because he's like, yeah. I'm no not going to get it back, you know. And then, yeah, he, he always thinks he's he's open. Uh, yeah, well, he's he's hot. The next one's going in, so it's it's not bad to have that sort of confidence if if you are a guy that can make the shots. But if you if you're a guy that's shooting twenty eight percent. That's a negative to the team. And I just, I look back on the Cleveland last year when I said this to you um, when Isaiah Thomas was there, and I think that I say the same with this team. Where's the improvement coming from for this team to, to, mm. to go forward? I mean, I mm. obviously they're, gonna, they're not going to stay at Owen whatever. They're going to start winning some games, but well, I don't see an improvement to this team where they jump you know, 10, 15 games above 500 by the end of the season. The, my theory was that it was going to be the, the they'd be a, try to be the number one defense in the league and, you know, play, you know, that, you know, 2002 Pistons style where it was so aggressive and so athletic with the likes of Jeremy Grant and Noel off the bench and Hamadou Diallo, who looks like a real athlete and Terrence Ferguson and Steven Adams and Paul George, who can still defend like he just, they have the individual athletic ability where you've got the theory 
of them as individuals go, man, that has the, the makings of a scary, switchy, athletic, rangy, pressuring defense that can can trigger a whole bunch of offense. Like the so it had to be, but that's predicated on the system then, and the set of rotations and the set of roles to unlock that and to unleash that. Now the two factors are: is Donovan the right coach to be able to do that, and are these players good enough on defense to overcome their well, as you pointed out, uh, offensive deficiencies to be even justify playing that style, right? That's for me is where I thought the upside came from was the you know with all these young springy athletes that they could change a bit of that you know try to become a more defense first you start the offense philosophy. But when your starting five has a, a gaping hole with a Patrick Patterson and, as you pointed out, right, the, if Schroeder um, – has Schroeder been starting? He no, must have Terrence been. Yeah, Ferguson been starting. Ferguson, right? So, again, these black holes on offense. So two of them, that kind of go – that sort of negates that idea. And then you've got your relegated to yourself to Russ, who's always overestimated his ability to shoot threes, and Steven Adams, who can't stretch the floor at all, and I go, there you go. You've got four players who can't shoot on the floor at the same time, right? So if that's not creating – if you're not creating tons of transition and tons of pressure and getting the free throw line 40 times a game, you're probably going to look like Oklahoma City has looked. And so if that system doesn't work, then you then you go, where is the upside coming from? And the, the, the answer is in the question. It ain't coming. Where is the offense? Is that does it come from Ray Felton? Well, right? I think Alex this Sabrinas? is the, this you know, is the where, thing, where, and this is the question for Utah as well. I think when when you're a defense first team, the way the league's going, you know, it, it, offense is so much more important now than what defense is. Mm-hmm. So you can be the best defensive team in the league, and it just doesn't matter as much if you don't have those offensive players to back it up. So it's it's more important on that side of the ball. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, and this is a term of just too many minus players. I mean, we talk about Utah and some of their struggles on offense. This team's got so many minus players um, on offense, even though they're obviously their top end is better than what Utah's is from an offensive point of view. It falls away so quickly and so badly um, that uh, you know, it, it almost doesn't matter. So I think really worrying signs to me from, from what we've seen early. Russ has only played one game, but let's not get too carried away but um you know another couple of losses and uh, i think donovan's going to be really on the hot seat as um let's move on to one last team we talk about defense and this is a team that defense isn't a dirty word as the la lakers um <laughs> they are one of the worst defensive terms i've ever I've, i cannot believe some of the players they're throwing out there i, I said i sent a message to you when the spurs game and i said gee this this Lakers front line is hard to break down. That was just three traffic cones sitting there, because um, that was literally the defense that the Spurs. Honestly, I've seen I've seen more. I think when you see them workouts in the draft class and they're working out against the chair, I've seen the chair put up more effort on defense than what you I get tripped up by those tricky chairs, Dad. <laughs> yeah. So they've got Javale McGoon. Look, Javale's generally good for maybe fifteen minutes a night. They're playing him thirty minutes a night, so that's always bad. Um, Zebach come in. He played five minutes in this game, Daz. Guess how many personal fouls he had in the five minutes? I don't know. Three. Five. <laughs> So the Spurs just, it was actually quite unfair what LMA did to him. It was a bit of a bully ball. 
at its absolute best. Um, but uh, you know, and then but they've got and, and Corwell Pope didn't even um, he? I think he played eighteen minutes and and Josh Hart played thirty seven minutes from memory. So uh, Corwell Pope's been a poor poor player too so far. So there's but I still think overall the signs are are okay for the Lakers. I think this is not going to be their season. Um, I'm interested to see LeBron. I. LeBron sort of picking his moments at the moment. He only had four points to the half against the Spurs, and he only looked vaguely interested to me. Uh, and then he came out in the second half and and laid waste um, to Santana and almost pulled the game out of the fire. But um, it, it it just the way it's looked at the moment. This is all offense team, not playing any defense, playing very sloppy at times on offense as well. And, and given there's no transition to, if they miss a shot, it's almost two, it's two points at the other end generally very quickly or a wide open three. Um, so they've got to, they've got to get their shit together, but Ingram and, and Rondo being out sort of hurts their rotations as well. Um, and then, you know, they've, they've relied on players in the last couple of games that I don't think we'll necessarily see much of. And as I said earlier, I think they've had a tougher draw um, than what some other teams have had. So I'm, I'm not as much in panic mode. And I think there's been some positive signs for them. At the end of the day, they should have beaten the Spurs in the end. That was a game they led by six um, with 55 seconds to go and ended up losing, of course. Spurs ended the game on a 7-0 run. Um, and LeBron missed two three throws, which, you know, I think if he hits one of two, they probably go to a second overtime and he hits both. Um, they, they win the game and then took a what I thought was a pretty strange shot to try and win the game or why he didn't take it to the hole, I'll never know. But um, what are your thoughts, Ben? Have you seen much of the Lakers? Admittedly, the main game I watched was the Spurs. Didn't watch as, as much of the Houston or the, or the Blazers. What do you make? I mean, I'm, I'm overall still reasonably positive about where this turns at, apart from the defensive well, end. Well, they're shooting 28% from three to start the season. So the same, same theme you know, from the top of the show, from you know the the leagues going all offense, even the most arcane teams like the the Jason Kidd Bucks are you know finally you know shooting the three, and so it's it's spacing and shooting is the initiator for all the offense now. And the Lakers are, I'd have to look at the stats, but to shoot twenty eight percent from three. Well, LeBron's shooting fifteen percent. For example, LeBron's shooting yeah. 15%. LeBron's not going to continue to shoot 15 Ingram hasn't made a three-pointer yet this season. He's not made one. Um, you know, and Kuzma has been horribly inefficient. Well, you know, Kuzma so scored far. 37 against the Spurs, but he's been non-existent Yeah, wickedly in inefficient. Yeah, yeah, like he's only shooting 27% from three for the year. So it's not like he's, you know, playing Chris Middleton-style ball. He's in the opposite. He's got the, the high-volume... Um, sort of sort of stuff going on. So they don't have any shooting. They don't have a center. You're right. McGee's playing 23 minutes a game, and it's re- remarkable why they would have signed him and not someone else. It's, well, why not it, keep... It, if this team keeps Brooke Lopez and Julius Randle, completely different team. And, and it's mm-hmm. inexcusable that they didn't re-sign Brooke Lopez. That is one of the most inexcusable things that I saw in the offseason. I mean, Randall, I can understand to an extent because he wanted a longer-term deal, even though I, I think he fits okay on this roster. But the Brook Lopez not signing him, that's one of the biggest head-scratchers. So, yeah. They don't have any defense. They don't have any centers or rim protection, which is the most important part of your defense. And they don't have any shooting right now. So I go, okay, other than having no defense and no shooting, um, what they do have, and you're right, I go, 
when you think about the draft classes they had the last two years to find Kuzma, Hart, Ingram, and Ball, you know, over, I guess it's technically three dress. This is, yeah, this is um, Ingram's third season. I go, that's a pretty awesome group of talent. You've got, you know, two top five players in Ingram and Ball. I think Lonzo's going to be fine. He's Lonzo started to make shots, Daz. He's, well, he's I think, too, couple. just on their shooting, their shooting mm-hmm. will improve. I don't think yeah. OKC's shooting will improve. Right, they've just got bad shoes. I think they've got, the Lakers have got some guys that are off to rough starts in have terms you noticed of shooting. Lonzo's mechanics are a little different. It's a little bit less funky. It's a little bit quicker release. So well, he shot well the, the second half of last year. So that's yeah. that's something yeah. that, that's been coming along. So that that's not a great surprise. And Josh me. Hart, man, I, I think that Josh Hart is just a rounded NBA player. He's just going to play. So he, he's the one shooting 54% from the field, 47, 47% from downtown. He'll be starting a game. soon. I mean, Cobalt Pope know, will go to the bench, surely. And, and Hart closed, was closing out the last two games, right? So he closed out both San Antonio and he was he was in there for um, the Houston game as well. So KCP hasn't been playing. He hasn't been playing um, fourth quarters or certainly the crunch time. Hart's been in there. So he's already, he's already in the closing unit, Daz. And I think that's the other very positive sign is that Hart's all-around game was as good as we started to see in summer league. He's translated that over. So, look, we got some weird subtextual questions, which is the, you know, what effect is, you know, alpha dog, you know, spit, non-spit, uh, Rondo, w- w- what's he going to do to the locker room? How is, how patient is LeBron going to be with, with someone like Rondo, you know, in, in the, in the locker room, how, how will that dynamic change? You know, where LeBron basically, you know, partly by circumstance because he was standing near him, partly because he probably sought him out. But LeBron, you know, going in, you know, embracing stroke, pulling Chris Paul away from the fight and, have, you know, wrapping his arm around him to kind of calm him down. You know, what what impact does it have on the, let's say, volatile stroke, emotionally fragile Rondo? So he gets these subtext of this emotional shit, you know, running through the through the team, which will be, you know, interesting for some. And it will, it'll mean nothing until the day that it does, and I think the day that it does is probably we'll hear nothing about it, and then Rondo gets traded to Orlando, you know, for a future <laughs> for a future second. You think I'm kidding? I go, that's probably I've, I've worked it out. I think he's going to end up in Orlando. He's gonna, you know, they're going to need a point guard eventually, Daz. Um, and what better way to exile him? So he kind of got that stuff going on. Um, but I guess the, the my my step back is that KCP's minutes are way down. Michael Beasley really hasn't played at all. Lance Stevenson's only playing what, 18 minutes a night. So the good news um, from this regard is that, you know, the clown car of, of veteran signings doesn't look, again, aside from the Rondo volatility and what that means, it doesn't look like it's going to stunt the development of, you know, Kuzma, um, Kuzma Ball, but it's inexcusable, um, so Daz, to come into a it season to, without a centre. And I know we say it's positionless basketball. You still need a centre on your roster. And they, don't, team, they just don't not, they do not have one. Well, especially for we saw. we You have to believe that Rob Palenka watched LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers play defence the last two years. You kind of think he's probably watched some NBA basketball to say, you know what? at this stage in his life to protect the greatest player or second greatest player of all time to protect LeBron James. You probably want 
a, a rim protector. You probably want someone next to him who's who's big or strong or tough or all of the above. And I go, you're right. He's slow of foot, and he wouldn't have let them play the style of play they wanted. But why not have Brook Lopez go in there, box out, muscle people, and you know, fucking throw outlet passes? You know, that would have been something. Or again, we could think think of any number of of players next to him. That's what blows my mind. Is this is where you're at? Is like. How can you watch NBA basketball and not try to put, you know, some decent one-year contracts around LeBron to protect him and and to protect the team? That's what just can't. Is you're right. The, the 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 traffic cones is probably what they've looked like so far. So it's there's no explaining it. We'll we'll one day maybe hear the explanation for it, but um, it's probably going to be less dramatic than we think. Maybe they're just incompetent, but hmm. but at but least I the young think, guys. I think I at least they have stifled. Yeah, it hasn't stifled the young guys, which I guess is maybe was the worry we might have had early on was, oh, my God, is our Lance and Michael Beasley going to play, you know, 25 minutes a night? And, you know, so far, it's not been the case. Lance is getting 18, 19 minutes, but Beasley hasn't played at all, and KCP's minutes are way down. So yeah. it hasn't stunted the young guys. So And the final point is Mo Wagner is, is another center that, that they were high on um, who they drafted um, in last offseason. So let's wait and see. I guess May yeah. we see him, and he'll he'll be able to give them some decent minutes as well. But certainly Zubach um, does not look up to it, um, to say the least. At this stage, so look, as we might leave it there, though um, we've got some some good games uh, coming up tomorrow. As I mentioned, um, the Milwaukee Bucks and, and the Sixers, uh, the Spurs and the Pacers, that that Mavs, uh, Trey Young, Atlanta Hawks game, um, and uh, Utah Houston, just to name a few. And also Lakers Suns tomorrow is going to be an interesting one. Like the, 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 you won't know where to look some of those days as um, as the NBA goes on. Was there any games that sort of caught your eye? the next few days that you're looking forward to watch watching well i know obviously the big one for for me the uh, uh, bucks philly is the one that's coming up and they got some interesting kind of intra-division inter uh, interconference stuff coming up portland indiana is a little bit interesting that's you know late late in the weekend and then um uh, the other one I was looking at was where is it? Yeah, Bucks again. More Bucks. Bucks got Toronto <laughs> also on Ooh, on Sunday. Cool. Yep. Yeah. So again, early sort of early sort of benchmarks has to see how far they've come. But there's a lot of mismatches. I'll be honest, as we got a lot of OKC versus Phoenix, Utah versus Dallas. You know, um, Miami, Sacramento. Oh, don't look. Golden, don't, Golden State, Chicago. You know, don't sleep on Phoenix, Sacramento, and uh, that that bottom half of the West. I think they're going to be more frisky than you think. Um, as the season goes, yeah, when, when the as the maybe. season goes on, maybe they'll fall off a little bit. But even Sacramento, they've been pretty competitive today. As you pointed out, it was the second night of a back to back for them. They've been pretty competitive in most of their games. So you Here's don't the one, need to bring it every yeah. night. Here's the one to look at then. So um, it's uh, New Orleans, Denver. That's coming up. Ooh. That's the last game on. Uh, that'd be that's uh, Sunday. So it'll be night, Monday, our time Monday. And they'll probably both well, they'll both be undefeated still. That's I think New Orleans have got one up, one more game uh, before that. 
Yeah, fighting for the one seed does. <laughs> yeah. Good to see. All right, mate. Good to talk to you. We'll we'll try and touch base again next week. We'll see where how many different storylines and uh, how many different how many of our opinions we had tonight that will change uh, 180 degrees next week. Corey Irving will probably be an MVP candidate by next week. Guys. Come on, come on, Tyloo. You can do it, buddy. <laughs> come on, Cavs. You got you got to help me out here, man. I've, I've <laughs> got to help me out. I've already lost on um, Alfred Payton Island here. You, you got to do something for me. <laughs> all right mate good to talk to you we'll, we'll talk again next week good stuff thanks buddy thanks mate bye bye